Well, let's study his word. We're back in one more time in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to finish our study uh, in this book today. And I'm sad because I love this book. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Um, this letter really, as I read through the New Testament, all of it is encouraging. But uh, when I read Philippians, it's like, a, it's like a cool, refreshing spring to my spirit. Because when you look at some of the other books that are written, and we've talked about this over the past few months, um, you, you see problems in some of the churches and Paul having to, to teach and correct and rebuke. But in Philippi, he doesn't really have to do that. It's all encouragement, all strengthening, all challenged to move to a higher level of faith. Uh, and, and the believers in Philippi uh, were worthy of that. They had been faithful to the Lord. They had walked worthy of Christ. Um, they were caring for the work of the ministry and evangelizing. And, and um, it, it really is just a call to a higher level of faith and a higher level of maturity. And as I thought about this week, uh, that this week, um, I, I realized that there's really always a, a more wonderful opportunity for us when we walk worthy of Christ. When we do what we're called to do, and we do what we saw in chapters 1 and 2 uh, of this book, God, God has an extra layer of blessing for us. You know, we can't always see it when we're younger in our faith and when we're immature in our faith, because we see through a glass darkly. It's kind of a, a secret to us. We can't quite grasp it. But as we grow and mature in our faith, we start to see all the, all the things that God has planned for us, all the layers and layers of blessing that God wants to bring into our lives uh, that, that our, our spiritual perception, our depth perception, starts to get better with age. It's not like me where I look at my notes and things are a little blurry this morning because I'm 51 and, and I don't see as well as I did when I'm 20. But as we get older uh, in the Lord, the opposite happens. Our sight doesn't dim and our perception doesn't get worse. It gets more refined and we see better as we get older. And that's a happy thing in the Lord. So, so by fulfilling what God's called us to do, we start to mature, and then as God takes us into a deeper level of faith, and as we aggressively deny sin and put our old self behind us and become more like Christ, God starts to pour out blessing on us. Now that's the theme, we want to just recap a little bit as we come to the end of the book. That's the theme in chapter 1, verse 21, where we saw this seven-word phrase that really should describe our lives, for me to live is Christ. If that's our mindset, if that's our goal, if that's the singular priority of our lives, it will absolutely change how we live. I want to say that again. I saw it, said it in the first week when there was still snow on the ground. Believe it or not, we started the study in January. If we will walk with Christ, if that will be our mindset, if that will be our priority, it will absolutely change our lives. Because we can't defend sin when we only, only want to live for Christ. And we can't justify being like the world and agreeing and participating with what the world values when we only want to live for Christ. And we won't be lacking in faith if we're living for Christ because the faith will explode. There won't be a, a discontentment and anxiety and a fear that, that will all come together like we studied last week, Philippians 4.11 where we'll learn to be content in all things and we'll be settled in Christ. See, self, 
keeps trying to get its tentacles back into us. Even if you've been saved decades, I've been saved 41 years last week, the, it, self still tries to get its tentacles in, and it's subtle, and it's insidious, and we may not even realize how much it has of our heart. That's why Paul said back in chapter 2, have this mindset that is in Christ Jesus, who emptied himself and became uh, a bondservant. He became one who willingly sacrificed and surrendered to the master. How we understand that term of the Trinity is way beyond our, our pay grade. We won't understand that till we get to heaven. But somehow, as God in flesh, his will was willingly surrendered to the master, and he became a bondservant. One of the best indications that we still have self in us is that when we hear that concept, that our, our mind kind of screams, that's not about me. That is always about us. It's always about me that I need to empty myself. It is always about me that I need to be a bondservant. It is always about me that I need to humble myself. There's never a moment, and, and more we embrace that, and the more we accept that as our eyes open in the morning and we're smashing the snooze button, like I did this morning, I set three alarms and slept through all of them because I just didn't understand, my brain didn't get, why is the alarm going off? I'm going to throw the phone across the room. Ever had that kind of morning? That was this morning. I wanted to grab the phone and just slam it against the wall, and then I thought, I don't have the protection plan, so I better not do that. But at first thought, when our eyes open, should be, Lord, empty me of self today. Empty me of self. This today is not about me. Today is about serving you. And when we imitate Christ and we pre please Christ alone, that's when our lives change. Now, as Paul finishes this letter, we're in chapter 4. We're going to look at the last 10 verses, verses 14 to 23. As we initially read them, it may seem like there's not a lot of practical applications for us because Paul's basically thanking the Philippians for their financial support of his ministry and kind of closing his letter the way he always does. But there are some real valuable truths here about generosity and giving that we need to see. And then there's the one verse that we know well that kind of stands out. And I believe the Lord wants us to, to see that in a fresh way this morning so we can praise the Lord even more. I don't know about you, but I need to praise the Lord more often. So let's look at these verses and let's see what Christ is telling us this morning in verses 14 to 23. Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied. Notice he's in jail right now, about to die. Having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, clearly from Paul's writing, if you look at the first four or five verses we read there, the Philippians had been a huge 
financial support to his ministry. They had helped him, they had ministered to him, uh, and they had really encouraged him, not only verbally and by how they were living, but financially too. And Paul focuses on that uh, here in, in the last part of chapter 4. And verse 15 kind of gives us a, an interesting insight because he says, you were among my earliest supporters. In other words, when the ministry was just starting out, I was just starting to preach the gospel, you were generous to me, even uh, right as I left Macedonia. And if you want context for that, that's Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 13. So, so when I started out, when the ministry started, God called me on the road to Damascus, saved me, called me to go to the Gentiles. In the early days, as I just started to preach, you were there for me and you helped me financially. Now, think about that for a moment. Because there was nobody more controversial than Paul. There was nobody that inspired questions or inspired anxiety about what his real motives are and whether his salvation was genuine and whether he was really called by Christ or whether there was some kind of a trick than Paul. Even the apostles, it says in chapter 14 of Acts, they, they were nervous. They didn't want to be around him. They were fearful. They thought it might be a trap that if they really came out and said, yes, we're Christians and we accept you, that Paul would say, oh, I was just kidding, and arrest them and put them to death. So, so in the early days, it wouldn't seem like anybody would really want to align with Paul, especially because he had persecuted Christians, he was a Pharisee, and, and they were just scared of him. So here's this church, this young church in Philippi, and they fully believe in the wideness of God's mercy to save Paul. And then they take the step of trusting that his calling to go to the Gentiles was authentic. And not only did they just say, well, yeah, we support Paul. He's great. They start to send money to him and say, you know, as you're starting out in your ministry, you're going to need some help. You're going to need some financial backing so you can go out and do the work of ministry. So, sorry, i got to switch mics here. Where's my other mic? How's that? There we go. Now you can hear me. So here's this church that is, that is taking a risk because if Paul's ministry isn't genuine and they're saying, hey, up here in Philippi, we're, we're a group of Christians. We want to help you. We want to support you. If Paul's not real, if this calling's not authentic, all he has to do is go up to Philippi with a band of people and say, you know what? Now that you Christians have been called out, now we can kill you. So their faith is exemplary. And I was struck by the power of that because if you look back at verse 16, it says, and it wasn't just a one-time gift. They gave to him multiple times. And I thought, how much that must have encouraged Paul? How much that must have been just to strengthen when even the apostles are going, I don't know. I don't think we want to be around you. Here's this little church in Philippi that says, you know what? We're with you. We believe in you. We support you. And we want to help you. You know, there are people all around the world this morning that, that care about this congregation, that pray for us, that listen to our podcast, that take an interest in us, including financially. 
Over the years, we've had gifts of tens of thousands of dollars that have been given to us. Just in the last month, we had a gift from a family in the Midwest of $5,000 just showed up in the mail. About three days later, we had a gift of $2,500 that was given by somebody that used to come to the church and had to move away. I'm telling you that because Harbor Rock's ministry extends much farther than we can see. And just to give you some additional perspective on that, in the last 90 days, I th- I, I'm telling you this because I think it's cool. In the last 90 days, our Sunday morning studies have been heard and downloaded all around the country and also in Turkey, Taiwan, Norway, South Africa, France, Germany, Switzerland, Ghana, Australia, Ireland, Austria, Croatia, China, Japan, Ukraine, Russia, and the Czech Republic. Just in the last month, over the last year, which is as far back as I can look, there have been 28 different countries in the world that have heard one of our studies. And if you go back five years, it's even more than that. I can't access those stats. But it's in the 40s or 50s, the number of countries. Now, now why is that important? It's important because the Spirit is spreading His gospel and because there are believers all over the world this morning that are sharing in us as partners in the work of ministry, just like the Philippians did with Paul. Anytime someone helps us when we're in need, it's happy, right? If you're struggling and someone comes along and just says, let me help you. I've had times when when we were out of ministry where we'd go to the mailbox and there'd just be a check in the mail for exactly what we needed. You've heard those stories before. Exactly what you needed. You just stand there and you're just stunned. Like, how did the person know? And, of course, there's no signature. Anytime you help somebody who's in need, it's happy. Paul knew, look back at it, he knew he could rely on them because their giving was consistent. And it wasn't influenced by their attitude or their bias. It was for the work of the Lord. That's what all the money we give is for the work of the Lord. That's why it's, it's, it's so easy to be a cheerful giver. Because if I'm giving to the Lord and the Lord's going to use it, I never have to question whether it's done right. So they sent him cash. They sent him support. They sent him supplies. He's in jail. He says, I've got abundance. You would think the last thing somebody who's rotting in a jail about to die is going to say is, I have everything I need. But Paul says, you sent it by Epaphroditus, and you brought, he brought it to me, and I'm so encouraged, not because, look back at it, not because it's for me, but because it's in verse 17, for the profit that you're going to receive to your account. In other words, he says, I'm so happy that what you've given will bring spiritual interest from the Lord because you're investing into his work. So when you've given to my ministry, Philippi, when you've given to other people's ministry, when you've supported the work of the gospel, it's not for us. It's not because, because we're saying, wow, it's great. I get, to, I get to go forward. It's because you're supporting the cause of Christ. And God takes note of that. He's watching what you're giving. And he's watching how you're supporting and praying to the work of ministry. And he's giving you a credit in your account. And what a blessing that is, church in Philippi, because you are getting honored by the Lord. This is such an important spiritual principle for all of us this morning, because this spiritual condition, when we give that way, 
When we give joyfully and cheerfully and we give to the work of ministry, knowing God will honor it, when we give that way, God cannot and will not ignore that. He will look at it and he will keep a record of it and he will honor it and he'll bless it and he'll credit it to our account. Whenever we're not walking with Christ and we're allowing pride to have a place, the amount and attitude of our giving will invariably decrease because our heart's not right. But when we're walking with the Lord, when we're yielded to His Spirit, when to me to live is Christ, that's when we want to give. That's when we trust even when the supply isn't there. And that's when we say, Lord, it's all yours anyway. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Everything I own is what you've given me, so I'm going to give to you. And when we do that, God increases it. Now, that's not prosperity theology. Hear me this morning. It's God saying, I will give abundance. Why? Why does God give abundance? Not because he's honoring us and I had great faith and now God gives me everything I want. That's not the verse. He says, I will give abundance. Look at it, verse 18. Because what you give is a fragrant aroma and it's an acceptable sacrifice and it's well-pleasing to me. There's one other thing that we do as believers where God uses the same terms. It's prayer. God says, I keep your prayer in bowls in heaven. We've quoted that many times. I keep your prayer in bowls in heaven and they're like a sweet-smelling aroma to me. They're fragrance to my, to my nose. Well, he's using the same term here about giving. And isn't it interesting that the things, the two things that are most difficult for us to do, to pray and to give, I think they're even harder than witnessing. The hardest two things we do as Christians, the things we're most challenged by, are praying and giving. They're the only two things in Scripture that God says, those two things are a sweet aroma to me. Those two things are what bring me joy in, in my nose. They, they just, I smell them, and I'm like, ah, oh, that's wonderful. Look, my people are praying. Look, my people are giving. Oh, heaven rejoice because the fragrance is wafting through heaven because my people are praying and my people are giving. He describes it here as a sacrifice. A sacrifice meaning that when you bring it to the altar, when you bring what you give to the altar, when you bring your prayer to the altar, that God says this is a sacrifice and it's pleasing to me and it's acceptable to me and I love it. So it is important that we give and it's important that we give joyfully and sacrificially and with a passion to support the work of ministry. And it's interesting, write down if you're taking notes and you're going to about to, so you might as well go ahead and get ready. In Malachi 3.10, it's the only time in Scripture where God says, test me. Test my faithfulness. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you until it other overflows. In other words, he says to us, Christian, try me, test me, give abundantly and see how much I bless you back. And again, that's not give abundantly and I'll give you money back. 
It's not a Discover card rebate. It's not, well, if you give $100, I'll give you $150 back. This is not about money. This is about the blessing of God. And blessing takes on a lot of different forms. Give. Go ahead. Test me in this. Bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. And when you do that, and, and you test me in this, then I will show you how much I will bless that. He promises over and above to give us all that we can ask or think. Now, all of that leads into Philippians 4.19. We're going to spend the last couple minutes of our study, which in context, Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many people know that verse by heart? You've memorized that verse. Okay, none of you. That's good. So you have a job this week, all right? My God will supply all your needs according to his riches, glory, Christ Jesus. Simple verse. I want you to memorize it this week. That verse would seem to be an extension of the thought about giving. And there's no question Paul is saying to them, God is, uh, God is, is uh, giving you reciprocity for your faithfulness in meeting uh, my needs. But, but there's a larger spiritual principle here. And this is what the Lord put on my heart in the middle of the week. And it brings the book all the way back full circle to completion because it registers the theme of God's mercy and God's sufficiency and our calling to live for Christ. Look at this verse again. Just concentrate on verse 19. That's where we're going to be the rest of the time. In verse 19, these 17 words, they are a powerful promise from the Lord and it speaks to everything in our Christian life. It speaks to our faith, speaks to our worship, speaks to our obedience, to our evangelism, to our discipleship, to living like Christ. Everything in verse 19 speaks to how we live. And I want you to notice four truths in it. First of all, notice the certainty of the promise. He says, I will supply it. Then notice the extent of the promise. I will supply all. If you write in your Bible, circle those two words, will and all. The certainty is that he will. The extent is that it will be all. The focus of the promise is that it will be our needs, not our wants, not our desires, not, not what are demanding. And, and God, if you love me, you'd really do this. Uh-uh, that's not the word. It's the word need. The focus is our need. The source of the promise is in Christ Jesus. Now let's be a skeptic for a minute. How do we know this verse is reliable? My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. How do we know that's true? What proof do we have? Because we can be skeptical sometimes. We can look at our lives and say, well, Paul, I'm really struggling right now. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like God's supplying all my needs. And, and we struggle to trust Him fully for that. And then, of course, the enemy comes along and he lies and he accuses Christ and he tries to get us to doubt God's Word that it's trustworthy. So, so let's be skeptical for a minute. How can we believe verse 19? Well, if you haven't already, I want you to get out a pen. I want to see some pens writing this morning because I'm going to give you two lists. And you need to write these down. In fact, this is a prerequisite of leaving this morning. If you don't write these down, you have to stay for the Spanish service at 1. Okay? So get out a pen, get the bulletin, or get a piece of paper. I want you to write these two lists down. You need these two lists. I need these two lists. At the top of the page, I want you to write what the Lord, dot, dot, dot. What the Lord, on the left side, I want you to write has already supplied. On the right side, I want you to write will supply. So, top, what the Lord has already supplied, will supply. 
We're going to make two lists this morning. This is going to be very straightforward. And you know most of these, but we forget them easily or we take them for granted. And I want to bring you back to verse 19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That is not a throwaway verse. That's not just, well, I've given a nice closing at the end of my letter, some nice concept that isn't really real. I've kind of been thanking them, and, and I'll, just, I'll just give them a little, a little encouragement. God will give you everything you need. And This is not some trite cliche where Paul's just kind of, kind of blowing smoke and saying, well, I've got to finish somehow. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning, this is far less about our material needs than it is about our spiritual needs. So let's make a list. What has the Lord already done for us as believers? And what will He do? First, let's write down what the Lord has already supplied. You ready? Number one, mercy. Mercy. To even consider offering forgiveness to a lost, sin, unrepentant world. And this mercy is extended to all people, to anyone who believes. That shows how gracious God is that His mercy is available to all. So the first thing God's already supplied is mercy. Second thing He's already supplied is salvation, which, by the way, is totally undeserved. Salvation's totally undeserved. It's only made possible through the, through the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it, again, it's available to anyone who believes. So God's already supplied mercy. He's already supplied salvation. Now we go to the next six, actually seven, excuse me, and these are only to those who now receive, uh, believe in Christ and receive that salvation. So God offers mercy to everybody. He offers salvation to everybody. Once we're saved, here's what He's already done. He's given us redemption. Redemption means we're purchased from sin and now we're owned by the Lord instead of the devil. You never own your own life. Either the devil owns you or God owns you. So God has redeemed us. He's purchased us from sin. Fourth, He's forgiven us. This is complete and eternal cleansing from sin with no record whatsoever that the sin ever existed. Think about that just for a minute. When God looks at my life, when He looks at your life, He sees no record, not only of sin, but that it ever even existed. That's forgiveness. Number five, adoption. Because of the transfer of ownership from an evil slave who wanted us eternally dead to a loving, gracious God who gave Himself for us, we are now claimed as God's and to secure it and let us know that it's real, God identifies us with Christ and gives us His name. We're a Christian, Christian. So we're adopted and the adoption is legal in terms of eternity, and it can't be taken away. Number six, he gives us a new nature. Who we are is changed forever. The Lord gives us his righteousness, so we are fully equipped to live as Christ did. Once we're given a new nature, we're given security. The adoption can't be nullified. We can't be taken away from him. He's more powerful than any opposition that he faces. And he loves us far too much to let us go. So when you trust Christ, you accept the mercy and salvation, and he forgives you, saves you, redeems you, cleanses you, adopts you, gives you a new nature. Now he secures that. It can't be taken away. Number eight, we're given freedom. 
We're promised that we no longer live in bondage to sin. Sin doesn't have any more control over us. We've been set free forever to live in our new life. And that's the last thing he's already supplied, eternity. He guarantees us in Romans that nothing will ever separate us from his love forever. Now just read back through the list as I talk. Mercy, salvation, redemption, forgiveness, adoption, a new nature, security, freedom, and eternity. He has already supplied those. My God will supply all your need. Well, I needed all nine of those things. And He's already supplied them. Now, what will He supply? Right side of the page. He's already supplied these nine wonderful things. Now He supplies at least nine more things. Number one, His personal presence. Anytime we come near Him, He comes near to us. Even in times when we don't want to come near Him, when we're broken or hurt or frustrated or discouraged, He still comes near to us because He's loving and He's gracious. So He will supply His personal presence. Number two, He'll supply His Spirit. We've already received His Spirit at salvation. Now He's going to give us more of the Spirit. That's why He says, be filled with the Spirit every day. Empty self, be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit's the seal of redemption. He's the author of our new nature. He's our teacher and our guide and our comforter and our convictor and our restrainer and our protector and our source of power. The Spirit's role can't be overstated. The Spirit is everything because it's the Spirit of Christ. So He will supply His Spirit. Number three, He will supply prayer. We can have immediate fellowship with the Savior and the Lord at any time, 24-7. We don't need an appointment. We don't need an intermediary. We don't need anything other than to walk into His presence. And He says, don't come timidly. Come boldly. Come right to Me. You're My child. And when you come here, you're going to experience My grace and My forgiveness and My encouragement and My guidance. And when you make a request, I'll answer. When you call on me, I'll answer. When you have questions, I'll give you wisdom. When you have needs, I'll meet them. When you have desires, many times that they're aligned with my will, I'll give them to you. It has to be what's best for you spiritually because I'm the only one that knows what's best for you spiritually. But we have prayer. He also supplies His Word. It's the source of our education. It's the source of our maturation. It's the path of life. It has wise counsel. It guides us. It directs us. We can't get that guidance anywhere else. Number, is it five? He supplies the body of believers. Millions and millions of like-minded people this morning whose job is to encourage and edify us and to strengthen and teach and pray for and care for and hold us accountable. The body of believers is not just this room. We've got friends in China and Ghana and Australia and England and Ireland and the Czech Republic and Russia and Japan this morning that are partners in ministry. Millions of people that God gives us to be the body. Number six, a renewed mind. 
in case we get the urge to run back to our old self, in case we believe the delusion of the enemy that says, oh, you don't need God, do your own thing. God says, I'm going to renew your mind. I'm going to remind you that you aren't under sin's control anymore, that you don't need to have a desire to go back and live the way you used to live because it's worthless and it's painful and its end goal is death. So don't get back there. Let me renew your mind every day. He also will supply power and strength because we need that in a world that hates Jesus Christ and hates us because we love Jesus Christ. Don't be surprised that the world hates Christians. Jesus said, this is going to happen. They hate you because they hate me. So get ready for it, but I'll give you power and I'll give you strength. That's why when he left, he said, it's better I'm leaving and sending the Spirit because when the Spirit comes, he'll indwell you and he'll give you what? Acts 1.8. He'll give you power. So power and strength. Number eight, he gives us promises. Literally thousands of assurances from the Lord that he can't break all designed to bring Him glory and to strengthen us and secure us and help us. And the ninth thing He will always supply is a way of escape. There isn't one temptation. Hear this now. Some of you are struggling with temptation. There's not one temptation that we cannot overcome by the Spirit's help. You never have to say, I'm caught in a bind, I'm stuck, I'm unable to fight, I'm unable to resist, I'm helpless, temptation's too strong, you don't understand, I can't, I can't deal with it, Paul, it, it's way too much for me. No, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, anytime you're in temptation, that there is a way of escape. You just got to look for it. And if we yield to the Spirit, He will always show us not only the way out, but the way of victory. Now, those lists, look at them. I hope you wrote them down. I think you did. Nine on one side, nine on the other. They're by no means comprehensive. But when you look at those 18 words, ask yourself, what more do I need than that? What more do I need than what I just wrote down? Now, knowing there will be some things that are across our mind, let me finish the study by offering five possible things we might list that we may say, well, I don't know if God's able to supply that. Number one, do you need forgiveness and spiritual cleansing and change in your life? Well, Paul, my past is too much. You don't understand how much junk there is and what's going on right now. You don't understand how far I am from God. I've had people say that to me through the years as they sit in my office for counseling. God couldn't forgive me. I've done too much. And, and, and I want to say, see that list on the left? Look at that. The, those things that we listed, God's already done them. He's already provided for us to be forgiven and cleansed and have a new life. And we can look to Jesus who died for our sins and who rose again to defeat sin forever. And it says he's the author and finisher of our faith. And we can be sure that whom he redeems and adopts, he'll never let go of. Christ isn't going to die on the cross with my sins. And he's not going to rise again and defeat death. And he's not going to save me to the uttermost. And then say, you know what? Oh, oops, you slipped out of my hands. God can forgive. He will forgive. 
and he will cleanse you. Another objection, I need direction and I'm not getting it. Well, we have the truth of the word. We have his Holy Spirit to lead us. We have prayer for spiritual wisdom. We have counsel for mature believers. If you're lacking in direction this morning, then ask God to show you. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, but let him ask with faith, nothing wavering, James 1, 5. Don't, don't pray and say, well, God, I need wisdom, but I don't know if you're going to provide it. God's going to say, that, that's not what I called you to do. You come to my throne of grace, you pray and you believe, God, I need wisdom from you. I don't have any idea what to do. And Lord, I fully believe that when I call on you, you will give liberally to me. When we pray that way, God says, here you go. It may take longer than we want. It may take us up to the last minute where we're hanging and we're going, God, where are you? God, where are you? And God says, I'm right here. I'll show you. You need direction. God gives us the way. Number three, are you discouraged, depressed? You need encouragement. The Holy Spirit's our comforter. The words are encouragement. Prayer brings us to His presence where there is fullness of joy. The body around you strengthens you. If you want prayer this morning, come up at the end of the service and we'll have a couple people surround you and put hands on you and call on the Lord for you, believing that God can and will help you. Don't walk out the door this morning struggling, saying, well, that was good and it was kind of good service, but now I'm going home depressed. No, that's not why we come to the body of Christ. You're depressed this morning, come up here, we'll pray for you. You need encouragement, you need strength, God will provide it. Is there a sin to overcome? His Holy Spirit will convict you and show you the way of escape. His Word will show you what to avoid and how. Prayer will lead you out of temptation. And once saved, He'll give you a renewed mind and warn you of temptation. And by the way, the people around you can hold you accountable. Don't, don't sit in silent sin and say, well, I wish somebody had called me and figure it out. No, that's not the way it works. We don't have ESP. Reach out to somebody and say, I need you to pray for me. I need you to hold me accountable. Will you call me at 10 o'clock at night and make sure that I'm not drinking or looking at porn or, or being abusive to my wife or, or doing whatever? Will you hold me accountable? Because that's what the body's for. Or maybe fifth, you just need hope. God offers eternal salvation. His promises, His Spirit to strengthen us. His word to remind us of his goodness. Prayer to get into his presence. He is the author of hope. Listen, man this morning has no hope without God. You just look at the news. I got so discouraged this week. Peace after peace after peace after peace after peace in the news. Just saying to myself, what in the world is going on? Man doesn't have a solution. Man doesn't have an answer. He can get all he wants and all the things that fulfill his desires. And at the end of the day, it's found wanting. Man has no hope. That includes us. But when we trust in Christ, there is all hope. So you need hope this morning. Don't look at something else. Look at Christ. Why? Let's finish. Because we have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. My God will supply all your need. It's not debatable or questionable. 
There's no equivocation here. It's not based on God's mood, whether he feels like it, whether he desires that that day. It says he's slow to anger and he's rich in love. How do you know that for sure? How can you be sure that, that God is slow to anger and rich in love and that he'll meet our needs? Look at the last three words. It's through Christ Jesus. Anytime you're tempted to doubt or, or, or to question his love or his care or his leading or his provision, just look at the empty cross. And then don't stop at the empty cross because anybody can die and be pulled off a cross. Then look at the empty tomb. Because the empty tomb is what says, here's God's power and here's God's grace and here's God's security and when we look at the empty tomb, it builds confidence in us that God is everything that he said he would be. Paul writes, for me, I want to go to heaven. I want to be out of here. I'm tired. I can't see. My health stinks. I'm lonely. I'm in jail. I'm not going to get back out on the road anymore. They're going to kill me. So my desire is to go be with God. Can't wait. Can't wait to be there in heaven seeing my Savior again. But I'm still here. So for me to live is Christ. There is nothing easy about it. But God is so gracious to help us. And until Christ returns, or until we die and go to heaven, that's our calling. And that's our privilege. And it's good.